Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with El Melkier talking most things, prospects, looking a lot at promotions, demotions. We had a roster cut down after the weekend concluded, so we have a few big names going down, a couple other names coming up to the big leagues. We had a debut last Friday that we're going to talk about on the pitching front, trending players as we have each and every Tuesday. And this week, we're going to take a look at the AAA level for our level roundup digging through a few bats of interest and a few arms of interest, which I think for this particular level has a lot more redraft appeal or a more immediate redraft appeal because we might be closing in on the point where a lot of these players are going to receive big league opportunities, many of them for the very first time. Al, it seems like the Twins have a big part of the news block of our rundown today, so we'll give them uh, the fair shake they deserve. Uh, Jose Miranda getting the call on Monday with Miguel Sano going to the IL. Uh, he was in the lineup for the series opener against Baltimore. And I think the question with Miranda is more, is there a chance for him to carve out a role if he plays well during this time that Sano is not available uh, and, and possibly become a, a fixture or at least a, a semi-regular in this Minnesota lineup, even after Sano comes back. Yeah, well, that might not be for a while, uh, but nonetheless, Miranda does have a strong incentive to not throw away a shot. And I'm not sorry I did that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's you know a couple of uh, injured players that, that figure in here. So there's Sano, there's also Alex Kirilov, and there's no, no timetable yet for his return, even though he's on a rehab stint. So... Uh, I do think Miranda's going to get a good long look. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I think that there's room for him there. Um, I mean, yeah, there's the question of when Snow and or Kirilov come back. I think really both of them have to come back for him to possibly face a real roster crunch. But uh, I think he's he's got that opportunity to, to make his case. And I, I think he's, you know, certainly got the, got the skills to do it. Yeah, I think he was pretty firmly placing himself in the does not have a lot left to prove at triple a group a year ago it's been 80 games there the numbers this season weren't 
as good to begin the year. I do wonder if there's a, a weather-related uh, concern there, knowing that the AAA affiliate is St. Paul, and I know the weather in Minnesota for the Twins games hasn't been good, so I imagine that the weather just uh, seven miles away, or wherever St. Paul, it's very close. Uh, it's probably not much better there. So that yeah. could be a little bit of a factor. The thing I like about Jose Miranda is that he, he doesn't strike out much. He's got a 15% K rate or lower at every single stop since his first taste of rookie ball. And back then he wasn't striking out that much either. Um, so you're going to get a lot of balls in play. You're going to get some power for sure. We saw, I think, 32, 30 home runs last year. Uh, 32 now between AA and AAA over the last two seasons. You want to count the two that he hit this season. Uh, so I, I like this player a lot. I think the versatility defensively is enough where they can give him shots somewhere else. If if it's not first base later, uh, they can move him to second base and, and shuffle things around depending on the health of other players in the infield. Like All, all that flexibility is there as we try and figure out how he fits. So we'll see how, if he hits enough to carve out that role. Um, Josh Winder made a spot start for the Twins. He's been in, in the bullpen for the Twins uh, throughout the season, seven Ks, six scoreless on Sunday, and they got a couple injuries in the rotation. Fortunately, Sonny Gray nearing a return, uh, but Bailey Ober recently went on the IL, so there could be some more spot start opportunities in the future for Winder. Uh, but he falls into that difficult group of not quite in the rotation, but showing interesting enough skills for us to want to roster him even in some deeper redraft formats. Yeah, I don't put Wander in the same category as, say, Christian Javier, where I just say, well, you know, long relief or, you know, starting role. It doesn't really matter. I think there's going to be value there. I think Wander does need to start to have value. And I think that you could see the Twins going with a six-man rotation. But the problem is when both Gray and Ober come back, that that's a seven-man rotation. And... You know, DVR, this is always something that I, I wonder about. And I think on our Thursday show where we talk with beat writers, there's an opportunity maybe for, for me to ask some of them about the process in front offices. Because you look at Chris Archer, who's been getting the job done so far, but his peripherals are really pretty terrible. And so to me, you know, as a as a fantasy manager, I would want Winder to be replacing Archer over the long term unless Archer really improves those those peripheral stats. So, yeah, I don't know how the Twins look at this, but I, I do see that there's a potential path there for Winder to stay in the rotation if it goes to, to a six-man rotation and if uh, Archer goes to a different role. Yeah, I think with Archer, I mean, it's walks and homers that are the problems right now. You can't do both. You very rarely can yield both of those things as a pitcher. So I think from a, a skills standpoint, he is the most vulnerable of the Twins' regular starters and if they were to make a change with him, I think that would be the best path for Winder to stick. But there's also the injury paths for other players going down, too. So it's really probably more of a watchlist situation for Winder in a lot of mixed leagues, but in some really deep leagues, deep keeper and dynasty leagues, where maybe there's a chance he's out there on the wire. He might be one of those guys who's worth using a bench spot to hold on to because it doesn't seem like he's that far away from getting that prolonged opportunity. And I think from a pitch mix perspective, I like what he brings to the table. We've seen a fastball, a slider, a curveball, and a changeup. Uses all those pitches at least 10% of the time, so it's a good deep mix. Pretty good velo, too. 94.6 is the average fastball velocity for Winder. You'd expect that to come down a little bit uh, in longer stints, but working in long relief versus short relief, it's probably not going to be that much of a drop if and when that happens. Uh, yet another reliever in Minnesota also uh, in the mix right now. Giovanni Moran 
who had 109 Ks in 67 to third innings between Double A and Triple A last season. Uh, this is your question that I'm throwing right back at you, Al. Is Moran yet another Twins reliever that we want to think about as part of their giant closer committee? We just saw Yohan Duran pick up the save in Baltimore on Monday night. Do you think Giovanni Moran is now uh, at least a, a second or third option behind the likes of, of Duran and Emilio Pagan? I don't think Moran is right now, but I think, like you were saying with Winder, it's a watch list situation and probably deep leagues only at this point. But I still think that that's not a particularly deep bullpen. Uh, you figure Pagan and Duran are going to get, get some saves. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Duffy uh, figures in there somehow. But I still think that there's room for uh, for another reliever to get in there. So I think Moran is, you know, first of all, going to have to be able to stick in this bullpen, pitch well initially. But we've seen it before where uh, relievers will get called up and they'll initially start in low leverage situations, but they'll they'll pitch so well that they rise up pretty quickly. So I think that's a path Moran could take. I don't know that he needs to be picked up anywhere. I think he'll stay on waivers for a while. But uh, I think you watch this one closely, and if he does well initially. Uh, I do think in AL only in some deeper mixed leagues, he could be picked up. Yeah, I think that's the type of format where a lot of Twins relievers sort of top out in terms of what they can bring. If you're not the first or second option, if you're the third option, that might not be enough unless you're in a league that also rewards holds. But another name to keep an eye on for sure in that Twins bullpen. Staying in the AL Central, going over to the Royals, MJ Melendez was promoted. And this was because their backup catcher, Cam Gallagher, went on the IL. So, it's possible that Melendez actually sticks around for a little while. And I think the question is just how much are they going to play him with the com- the combination of Salvador Perez, and Carlos Santana, uh, and, and the, just the, the general crowding that they have between catcher and first base, and even to an extent, DH. Like, Is there an actual path where Melendez is somewhat immediately viable in, in at least two catcher mixed leagues? I think he's got to DH some. Uh, for that to be possible. And we all certainly, I think, hope that that, that happens because uh, there's there's a lot of power there for Melendez. I think he can make a real impact if he plays, you know, three, four times a week, certainly in deep leagues and plays a little bit more than looking at somebody who has broader appeal. And Perez right now, he is DHing when he's not catching. He does catch a lot. He's been extremely durable. But, uh, you know, I think if they can kind of toggle back and forth between the catcher and DH roles, then that's a path I could see that gives Melendez some pretty broad appeal. I think Hunter Dozier probably has a little something to say about that. Like you said, maybe also uh, Carlos Santana. And I'm not sure that either of those hitters are ready to be moved aside or that the Royals, you know, more importantly, that they feel that they're ready to be moved into a less prominent role. Yeah, I think there's so many moving parts with Kansas City. I mean, you have the... Newly formed platoon in the outfield, Kyle Isbell and Edward Olivares. And that combo is not necessarily guaranteed a spot. Carlos Santana hasn't hit much to begin the season, so they could be nearing a point where they're willing to play him less. Uh, Dozier can play right field if they don't want to do the platoon thing in right field. So instead of playing him mostly at first base in DH, they've played him some at right field already. They could throw him out there. They could make this work. I'm wondering what matters to them in terms of how much time they need to see from Melendez performing for them to start shifting some veterans around. Melendez was great between AA and AAA last year. Spent about two-thirds of his season at AA. Combined between the two levels, 41 home runs. He was hitting for average. Got the K rate way down. Before the lost 
minor league season in 2020, there were major questions about MJ Melendez's ability to make consistent contact. He had a 39.4% K rate back at high A in 2019. The improvement we saw from him last year has been sustained in the early part of this season at AAA. The slash line is nowhere close to where it was a season ago, but this is an impact bat that Kansas City has talked about moving around defensively. They didn't do it at all in the minors to begin this season. Like third base, I think, was the the other position they thought MJ Melendez might be able to play. They weren't even experimenting with that in Omaha prior to this promotion. So I don't think we'd see them break him in at a new position, but I think they can shuffle other guys around if he hits in limited opportunities. So I think you probably want to speculate, even when the playing time's not there. Take a peek for a week or two, see if the playing time starts ticking up, and then if it doesn't, you can move on and redraft leagues. Uh, keeper in Dynasty Leagues probably already rostered a lot of long-term appeal here because Carlos Santana, I don't think he's going to be on the roster in 2023. I think that's a pretty safe assumption to make at this point. An injury note to pass along, uh, Gabriel Arias in Cleveland has a fractured right hand. He's out several weeks, so uh, there are several possible infielders that could come up and contribute for the Guardians at some point this year, and Arias is certainly among them. I think Tyler Freeman, if healthy, is another name that we might talk about on this show at some point in the not-too-distant future if he can get healthy and, and just prove that he is, in fact, ready for a big league call-up. A few other things that have happened since you and I last spoke on this show, Al. Josh Lowe was sent back to Durham by the Rays. And I talked to, you know, Saris about this a little bit on rates and barrels. It just seemed like a, he's got options left. And a few of these other guys that we have don't uh, most specifically, both Brett Phillips and Harold Ramirez who survived the roster cutdown. Uh, but Josh Lowe did have some issues producing in the first month of the season. I just come back to this time and time again. I don't know what he can figure out against AAA pitching that's going to help him later this season. I think this really was a numbers game that just happened to break against him as the younger player with options. Yeah, that's really the only explanation that makes sense here. So uh, I don't see Harold Ramirez being uh, a real obstacle uh, longer term. So uh, I'm certainly hoping in some of my deeper leagues that somebody might drop Josh Lowe because I'd be happy to stash him in their interim. Now, I think we did talk about back in March and thinking about where to draft Josh Lowe and thinking about uh, what side, what sort of numbers that he might put up, that the strikeouts could be an issue for him. And they've been even more so than I was imagining uh, with a, a rate upwards of uh, close to 40%. Uh, but I still think that if he just gets that down a little bit, there's the there's the power speed uh, potential that he can deliver. But I, I just wouldn't expect him to hit much above like 230. I think if you come up with those expectations, uh, there's still a, a place for Lowe to contribute longer term this season. Yeah, I think the projections are pretty much in agreement with you. I think they're all in the 220 to 229 range. So 230 is pretty much hitting the nail right on the head. I think the longer term question for me is like, is that the baseline? I don't think that that will necessarily be where he settles in at his peak. I think there mm -hmm. could be 240, 250 seasons, maybe even something a little better, because I think he does hit the ball pretty hard. I think that's one thing we're going to see from him as we get longer looks at Josh Lowe in the future. I think he makes a lot of hard contact when he connects, and that's going to offset some of the swing and miss that will likely always be uh, in his profile. Helps that he's also a good defensive center fielder, too, because that'll keep that playing time nice and steady. But a frustrating player in redraft leagues right now because you don't know when exactly he's coming back, and you also don't know how much playing time they're really going to give him if they've got platoon options still at the ready. 
Uh, meanwhile, Isak Paredes also getting an opportunity. I listed no as his position uh, on the rundown because <laughs> as much as I like him as a hitter, I don't know if he actually has a position to really call his own. I think he's just a bit of a, a rover pinch hitter type right now. So I think he's probably better suited mostly for AL only leagues right now. I think so. Uh, that's the extent of the appeal. And I hope I hold out hope that that can build into something bigger. But I, yeah, I don't see pursuing him in 15 team or maybe even deeper mixed leagues. Clark Schmidt was optioned by the Yankees when rosters were pared down. He's only thrown eight in the third inning so far this year. So I, I think it was a little bit clear that he was just an extra guy that they were they truly were using him in that sort of role where if they needed one more reliever, he was getting that opportunity. I think part of that might just be that because of injuries, he's thrown so few innings over the years, they have to manage him somewhat carefully. I think the counter argument to that is Clark Schmidt's 26 years old. At a certain point, you do have to push guys and just say, let's let's see if we can keep you healthy. Let's see if we can get you through the full season, even if it's in a, a shorter relief role as opposed to a, a starter's role. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Schmidt at AAA because I think that's going to reveal a little bit more about the Yankees' plans for him uh, as this season rolls along. Uh, Kyle Muller got a call from Atlanta, and then he got sent back down after getting hit by the Rangers. So he and Bryce Elder are now back at, at AAA Gwinnett. I don't know if there's much stash potential with Muller right now in redraft leagues outside of NL-only formats, but uh, interesting that he got that chance and didn't do enough to hold on to it. So I think it's a little bit unclear at this moment who Atlanta's fifth starter is going to be the next time they reach that spot in the rotation. And then we had the debut of Kyle Bradish. That happened on Friday, which feels like a very long time ago now, Al. Uh, <laughs> clearly, the Orioles have opportunities for young pitching. We've talked about Grayson Rodriguez a lot on this show. We'll probably talk about Grayson Rodriguez in like 15 minutes because it's it's AAA roundup day. Uh, but I think with Bradish, the numbers, and we talked about this on the waiver show last Friday, the numbers at, at AA in 2021 were great, but it was only 13 and two-thirds innings. And the numbers at AAA to begin this season were great, but it was only 15 innings. Uh, we saw lots of strikeouts at AAA a year ago, and we know the AAA level is challenging for a lot of reasons. The big issue for Bradish last season was walks. He had a 10.3% walk rate, uh, just over four per nine, if you prefer per nine for some reason. And I, I think it... It just makes me worry that Kyle Bradish might not be very efficient as a, a starter in the short term. And not being efficient when you have so many matchups against the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Red Sox, it's going to put us in this spot where I think in a lot of my mixed leagues, I'm not going to have a ton of confidence using Bradish until we see how well he adjusts to top-level competition. Yeah, and the team context doesn't really help either. Um, so you figure he's not necessarily going to be be helping you a lot with wins. He had an okay debut against the Red Sox, but right now they're uh, they're basically uh, one of the the easier matchups, at least the way that they've been hitting through about the first month or so here. Uh, and you know, you look at those strikeout numbers, DVR, that you mentioned. I mean, we can just take away the three starts in, in double a uh, such a small sample where he did get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, but in the two turns uh, at triple a uh, under 11 strikeouts per nine. And, and there was a time where if you were you know, bumping up against 11 K per nine, you could get excited. But in the, the current environment where strikeouts are inflated 
and you know that there's going to be uh, some some deflation of those numbers when a, a pitcher goes from AAA to the majors. Uh, yeah, the, you worry about the walks. You worry about, um, you know, if there's going to be anything there to compensate for what might be just a, a mediocre strikeout rate. So uh, I'm not, yeah, I, I haven't uh, pursued getting Bradish anywhere and uh, don't expect to really uh, anytime soon. I mean, obviously AL only if he's available, but uh, he's deep league only at this point for me. Yeah, I think 15-team mixers are where I'm drawing the line for now. If he pitches well, we could see him getting onto some rosters, even for just two start weeks or something in, in 12s. But uh, I need to see a good walk rate from him in the big leagues over a few starts before I'm going to trust him in anything that resembles a more difficult matchup. And unfortunately, just a lot of those tend to go your way when you're stuck in the AL East. But uh, certainly encouraged by the way Camden Yards has played the first month and change of this season. It makes pitchers just a little bit less scary, quite a bit less scary, actually, as more talent emerges in Baltimore. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's talk about some trending players. Every week we look at players whose roster rates are creeping up, usually on CBS, and some of this is the result of the number of, of keeper and dynasty leagues that are played on CBS. But the anticipation of a Nolan Gorman call-up seems to be rising in the fantasy community where he is now rostered in 48% of CBS leagues. That's a pretty high roster rate for a guy uh, at AAA. And the home runs just keep on coming. Simple question for you, Al. How would Nolan Gorman fit into the mix for this Cardinals team? The, I think the most obvious place is a DH, uh, where you've got Corey Dickerson taking uh, most of the, the plate appearances there. So uh, I don't think that, that that that's not my biggest worry. Actually, I think uh, Gorman's forcing the issue. I think he ought to be called up within the next few weeks. Uh, but it's the strikeouts, almost a 35% strikeout rate to go with his 11 home runs. And I feel like we're right back to the conversation that we had out on the Friday show about Patrick Wisdom, because that's kind of the same profile. Uh, so I'm kind of, I'm interested in, in terms of how you see this, but I'm going to throw out another name and that's Jorge Alfaro. Now mm-hmm. I know that he's not uh, really that relevant in a broad swath of fantasy leagues, but Alfaro has a, an interesting profile, kind of a unique one where he strikes out a ton. I think he's striking out like 50% this year, Oof. but he 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 hits uh, he gets hits on balls in play at an incredibly high rate every year, and Gorman does hit a lot of line drives. So I'm wondering if he could be more Jorge Alfaro with obviously a lot more appeal and a lot more power and a, and a lot less uh, Patrick Wisdom. Yeah, I mean, I think age to level is one thing that really jumps off the page for me. I mean, with Nolan Gorman, we're talking about a guy who's going to turn 22 in a week, and he's already played. 96 games at the AAA level, 25 home runs now between this season and last 11 in his first 20 games so far with Memphis. Anyone checking the baseballs uh, in in the AAA level just to see if they're the same as the Major League ball or if they're the old 2019 ball that they found in a warehouse somewhere? Uh, Nolan Gorman's always had real power. This this is not me trying to pick nits in him as as a player whatsoever. I'm kind of flummoxed because last season... He had a 19.2% K rate at AAA. 
And I know that looking back at last season and the injuries we had at the big league level, the quality of the pitching was down last year at AAA. I don't know if if 19.2% made sense to me last year, and I don't think 34.9% makes sense to me this year for his K rate. It almost seems like you could look at this guy and promote him, and he would strike out less against big league pitching because of like the statistical variance that you've seen in each of these these runs of, of opportunity at AAA. But I think it's going to be like a high 20% K rate or a low 30% K rate initially upon arrival. And I do believe he's the kind of player that makes enough hard contact to get away with it. There are some players like that. I think Nolan Gorman is going to be one of those players. I think the question will be, how much are they willing to DH a player that young? Or are they going to you know, play him at second, move Tommy Edmond somewhere else, and DH other players? Maybe that's what they're going to do, right? They, they want to make sure they're not putting the pressure of, of only hitting on Nolan Gorman. Maybe that takes some of the pressure off. You don't have to worry about playing the field. Just, just worry about hitting this pitching that's as good as any pitching you've ever seen before. Now, all this is to say, that I think he's among the probably two or three best position players in the minor leagues right now that you could stash in a redraft league. I think he's firmly in that conversation because I think that power will play even in that ballpark where we've seen a lot of power hitters sort of tail off relative to their expectations. Well, it's working for Nolan Arenado this year uh, yeah. with, a, with a change in approach. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's not an, a total impediment to power hitting. Yeah, so I'm I'm in on Gorman. I do think uh, the quality of contact will be good enough for him to do a lot of damage at the big league level, even if there's some immediate batting average risk once that opportunity is presented to him. Uh, Corbin Carroll trending right now up to a 20% roster rate on CBS. He's playing at double A right now, but Al, every time we've seen Corbin Carroll play, and he had a major shoulder injury that cost him a lot of time last year, he has been incredible, putting up video game lines at each stop. We're talking about a guy who's played fewer than 100 minor league games to this point in his young career, but it doesn't look like he's being tested at all at the AA level right now. The only thing in his profile that gives me any pause whatsoever is a 51.9% ground ball rate. But we're talking about a guy who's got four homers. He's seven for eight as a base stealer. He's hitting 347, 461, 611, coming off a major shoulder injury as a 21-year-old seeing double-A for the first time. So Corbett Carroll, to me, looks like he's on a star trajectory. He really does. And I took note of that ground ball rate, too. And it's, look, it's not outrageous. I think when you get closer to 60% is when maybe you start to worry. But you, you can generate some power with a 50% ground ball rate. But that's, that's an aberration from his previous stops. And yeah, these are all really tiny samples. He hasn't stayed anywhere that long. But um, another thing I find interesting is that I tend to mostly disregard BABIP rates in the minor leagues, uh, but his have been consistently high at every level. Again, collectively, it's not a lot of plate appearances, but the fact that he keeps replicating this and the fact that he also keeps backing it up with um, a high line drive rate. I mean, this is, it's, a, it's a great combination we're seeing so far with the potential for, for a very high batting average, really good power. And some stolen bases. He's already stolen seven bases this year in eight attempts. So, yeah, he could move up quickly. Another trending member of the Diamondbacks is Alec Thomas. He's a level ahead of Carroll right now at AAA. They could be teammates sooner rather than later, and they could be teammates in Arizona. Maybe by the end of the season. I think I, I could also see the Diamondbacks playing it a little carefully with Corbin Carroll, where they give him half the season at AA, half the season at AAA, 
and then maybe he debuts opening day 2023, there's a better chance we're going to see Thomas in the big leagues at some point. At AAA right now, the K rate's at a nice 15.6%, still drawing walks. Alec Thomas has done a pretty good job drawing walks everywhere that he's played. Slash line solid, 271, 344, 482. You'd like to see something a little more gaudy for AAA Reno, especially. And I think it's reflected. If you look at the WRC+, Plus, it's a 108 WRC+, Plus so far. So he's better than league average. Age to level, nothing wrong with what Alec Thomas is doing right now. I think he's maybe just not... like knocking down the door for a call-up. It might be more about need in the short term than promoting him based entirely on performance. Well, Thomas was probably the prospect I drafted the most this year. And I've dropped him, I think, almost everywhere uh, because it is the the sort of thing where if somebody doesn't get off to a really hot start or there's not an apparent need at the major league level, uh, you have to move on to to use that roster space for somebody else. Um so, yeah, and the thing is, I look at the Diamondbacks roster now, and it doesn't look quite as um, as barren as, as I anticipated it would. So, yeah, I imagine we see Thomas at some point this year. I don't know why he's struggling more at AAA as compared to uh, the, the twenty or uh, the uh, 34 games that he played there uh, last season. But, yeah, he's really – redraft, he's not really on my radar at this point. I think maybe Dynasty Leagues, if uh, – there's somebody who's souring on him because of the relatively slow start that he's having. Maybe there's a, an opportunity to, to trade for him there. I think Thomas is the kind of player I'm not stashing him in a redraft league outside of a really deep NL only league, but I'll pick him up once he gets the call because I, I yeah. think there's a chance he has a prominent spot in this lineup. I don't think they'd promote him and, and give him a part-time role, go the Darton, Dalton Varsho route. Uh, Arizona, by the way, for Team WRC Plus this season – is second to last in the big leagues. They've got a 77 team WRC plus. So they need a boost offensively. And I think Thomas could be among the players that eventually offers that. I'm just curious to see if they decide to go real aggressive with Corbin Carroll. Because that would be exciting if they pushed them both up and said, let's just see. Let's just see if we can hang around and, and be a wild card team and give, give ourselves a chance and let these guys play at the highest level. Uh, Max Meyer, who I think you and I may have talked about last week, up to a 36% roster rate on CBS, getting deeper into his starts at AAA as well, which might be a sign that they're they're in full-on, let's think about promoting Max Meyer mode because we think he can help us at, at that highest level. Yeah, no, it's I, I've been saying the last couple of weeks, think about adding him. This is the week at least where, where I am going to take some action because it's it's got to be soon. And I think when it does happen, uh, the, the, the bidding is going to be pretty, <laughs> pretty extraordinary on Meyer. He's got a 32.4% K rate coupled with a 60% ground ball rate. I mean, that that to me is pretty exciting. Yeah, 33 strikeouts now in 26 and a third innings, up to six and two thirds innings his last time out. That was a start back on April 30th. So uh, how they want to squeeze him in. We talked about it as an option maybe to go to a six-man rotation. Uh, maybe you just find someone like Eliezer Hernandez and put him into a super relief role. There's plenty of ways to make the pieces fit if something else doesn't open up a spot sooner. He just looks ready. He looks like he's going to come up and have a lot of success right away. We love pitchers in that ballpark especially, but he might be one of the most talented pitching prospects that gets an opportunity in the big leagues to throw well, maybe maybe even 100 innings over the course of the season once he gets the promotion. I think that's within range for Max Meyer. Let's get on to our level roundup. A lot of AAA prospects on the show this week because it's AAA roundup week. 
And we'll start with our bats of interest. Really encouraged to see this. Another twin shocker. Part of what I liked about the twins going into the season was I thought they had a lot of interesting depth pieces who could make an impact in the big leagues if they had a need on their big league roster. Royce Lewis coming off a torn ACL was one of those players. I mean, obviously didn't play in 2020, no minor league season, had the torn ACL that he suffered in spring training in 2021, didn't play any games there, and is now back and playing very well at AAA. I think what's really encouraging is we're seeing we're seeing a lower strikeout rate from Royce Lewis now at AAA than we saw three years ago at high A and AA, and he's walking more than ever. He's still showing speed, five for six as a base stealer. He's popped three home runs already. Uh, all of those, you know, weather concerns that I, I suggested might be an issue in the numbers for for Jose Miranda, whatever those concerns might be, they have not been a problem for Royce Lewis thus far. Yeah, uh, and the question there is just where's the room? Uh, and I think it's another situation too where maybe you have to look at DH and and maybe uh, like we talked about for uh, for Gorman, that's something that you wouldn't think an organization would would do with a prospect, but. That's where that's the only place where I really see the room on this roster. Uh, you know, Carlos Correa is definitely a roadblock at shortstop, and Trevor Larnack is is just whiffing a lot. So uh, I think there's there's an opening there, and uh, yeah, the the across the board uh, picture for Royce Lewis this year has just been phenomenal. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, they work him in somehow. And I'm wondering if maybe there's a, a trade on the horizon where they, they make some kind of move, right? I mean, the problem I think with trading Royce Lewis is that the type of contract they signed Carlos Correa to doesn't mean Carlos Correa is a twin for a long time. They're opt-outs. So if they want to temporarily move Lewis and then move him back to shortstop later, I guess that could be a possibility. Uh, when they were experimenting with that back in the, mostly the Arizona Fall League in 2019, Royce Lewis played, I think, a dozen games at third base, played a few games at second base, played some games in center field. I think there's a lot of belief in the scouting community that Lewis can handle those other positions just fine. So it's just a question of whether or not they want to break him in at the big league level, learning a new spot like that. But really encouraging signs from him, really across the board offensively to begin this season. Uh, one of my mystery players is it's a guy that I don't, I don't necessarily believe in him long-term as an impact big league hitter, but he is off to a nice start at AAA this season. And that's Luis Garcia of the Nationals. I'm a little surprised they haven't found room for him on the big league roster, given the alternatives. I mean, Elcides Escobar uh, it just seems like the kind of guy that you don't need to play at the big league level if you're looking to the future. I don't know. Is that, is that mean? That seems like the, the nice way to say that they shouldn't be playing him right now. But uh, the thing that we're seeing from Luis Garcia right now is more power output at AAA. Five homers in 21 games this season. He had 13 home runs at AAA a year ago in 37 games. It's the only level where he's ever shown in-game power like that. So uh, take it with the necessary grains of salt, as we often say, for the AAA level. But at what point do you have to become a little more interested in Luis Garcia again? I'm there. And I, yeah, I, to me, it's an absolute head scratcher why he is not up with the Nationals. And he, he didn't put up terrible numbers last year. I mean, it was a, a 79 WRC plus. So that, that does suggest, you know, not very good numbers. But I don't know. I think 242 with, uh, with six home runs over 70 games. I mean, that's, that, that's passable. And you figure the second time around, he could do a lot better. 
I think the thing that has surprised me is that Luis Garcia is a little bit bigger and stronger than I would have expected for a player with his profile. I know he's been young for the level everywhere he's played, but I, I, when I look him up and I look at his profile, I'm like, he, he's like 5'10", 180 pounds, right? No, he's listed at 6'2", 212 pounds. So a guy that size should be able to hit for some power. And looking at a Nationals team that plays in a park that, especially as the weather warms up, tends to be more hitter-friendly, I'm starting to talk myself into this uh, being a situation where Luis Garcia might exceed our expectations from a power perspective, not just because of, of AAA, but because of these other factors as well. I mean, the, the age level has always been really important for me in, in terms of uh, reserving some extra growth potential. You get to the big leagues as a, a 20-year-old, there are guys playing at high A that are 20 years old that we're excited about. That's a, it's a huge leap for a player like that. So. I can't imagine we're going to have to wait much longer before Luis Garcia gets another look from the Nationals. And I think at least in 15-team mixed leagues, he'll be on the radar because I would assume the playing time volume is going to be significant. Once they bring him up, they're going to play him every day. There's no reason to bring him up and make him a part-time player on that roster especially. Vinny Pasquantino also playing well at AAA. I don't know if this is the baseball reference approved nickname, but I heard our friend Clay Link refer to Vinny Pasquantino as Italian Beef, which I think is a fantastic nickname for for Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, another first baseman in the mix for the Royals. Another guy that, you know, because of Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and Sal Perez and that, that big crowd we talked about, Carlos Santana right now, you kind of wonder where is he going to play uh, but he's walking more than he's striking out. Career best walk rate, career best strikeout rate, and hitting the ball hard, even stealing a handful of bases early on this season at AAA. So what do you do when a player is this blocked, but showing signs of continuing to get better as he advances through the minor leagues? In reality, uh, I, I don't go out of my way to stash, um, and really that's probably putting it uh, not bluntly enough. I mean, I, I just don't see the point in stashing because there are a lot of players who talk about, oh, you should stash this player, or that player. And I don't see the path for Pasquantino. I think maybe what happens later in the season is maybe Santana gets uh, demoted to the bench or, or traded uh, or let go. And then, you know, maybe you're looking at a, a July or August call up. I, I mean, the, the numbers would seem to force the issue sooner than that, but I just don't see how. Yeah, the crowd is not good for everybody right now. It's a question of who who moves, who plays other positions, or are we going to get a trade? Are the Royals going to be among the teams that make a deal and, and move someone from this excess and possibly uh, possibly open up a spot for you know Nick Prado to play more or Pasquantino to play more by trading the other guy? I think that would be a welcome sight. I think the deep sleeper for this week's show has to be Alec Burleson, in the Cardinals organization, not a guy that I've really thought about in the last year or so. I think since he was drafted in 2020, 70th overall by the Cardinals, I've probably not thought about him at all. And uh, the numbers keep getting better level over level for him as well. Interesting thing digging into the profile is that Burleson was a two-way player back in college. And now that he's focusing entirely on hitting, we're seeing... Some pretty interesting results, including a 14.8% K rate. As he moved up through the minors last year, his K rate dropped at each level. He was at 30% early in the season at high A, got down to about 20% at double A, where he spent most of last year, and was at 15.7% once he made it to triple A. Just to see that sustained uh, improvement 
this season, I think, is a really good sign. We're also seeing a little more power early on here in 2022 as well. Yeah, six home runs already in, in just 19 games. And yeah, didn't really get that much uh, of a chance at AAA last year, uh, you know, as compared to, to AA. So we often see that with players, right? Midseason, they get a promotion, but then when they return there the following year, uh, you see a big improvement in the numbers. So we're seeing that with Burleson. And I, I just, I don't know where the path is here. I mean, given that we don't, see a, a really easy path for Nolan Gorman. It's it's even harder for Alec Burleson. One thing I wonder, this is just, you know, pure speculation, but you do have to wonder if maybe there is something wrong with Dylan Carlson, given just the utter lack of power uh, a whole month into the season. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Again, I you know, I don't know if that means a demotion. I don't know if, the, you know, maybe if there were physically something wrong. I, I hate to go that route because it is absolute speculation on my part with no information. But just in terms of trying to think of a path for Burleson, that's really the only way I can I can see it. Yeah, and so far, Lars Newtbar has been that extra Cardinals yeah. outfielder that now playing at AAA again as well. But just the name to file away for later, given some of the the improvements we've seen from Burleson to this point. Uh, Leody Tavares, not a prospect anymore, of course, because he debuted and played enough a few years ago and has graduated from that. But a perfect example of a player who, because he got to the big league so quickly, people forget he's only 23 years old. Having a great season so far at AAA, you have to think this Rangers team is going to give him another opportunity because he's a good defensive center fielder. That alone is reason for them to take a chance on him. The question for us as fantasy players is, can we trust some of the changes we've seen from Leody Tavares in the minor leagues, we're seeing a 21.7% K rate, a pretty low walk rate, actually the lowest walk rate we've seen at any stop so far this season, just 4.3%, but underneath a 375, 402, 625 slash line. Uh, so a lot of power, uh, again, at the AAA level. And again, we know it's a PCL situation, so dial it down a little bit here. Uh, but this is the best WRC plus we've ever seen from Leody Tavares at any level of his career by far, unless you want to count 2016 rookie ball, which I, I really don't. I don't think that's going to, <laughs> to shed much light on on how good he truly is. So has something changed enough to the point where you are, are willing to buy in on Tavares once the Rangers give him another look? I have to say absolutely not. Uh, because like you said, the, the walk rate is very low. The strikeout rate is roughly in the neighborhood uh, that it's been in, in recent years. And What's really powering that WRC plus is the batting average. He's hitting 453 on balls in play. So, and and what's even a little bit more distressing for me is he's three for six in stolen bases. Uh, that's the one thing. If I were going to speculate on Leo Tavares, it would be okay. I'm going to stash some steals, and I'm wondering what's up with with that. So, yeah, I'm not really all that interested right now. I think I'm a little more interested than I was a couple of years ago. I, I'll admit I am. I'm buying, even though I, I, I'm with you. I mean, a 453 BABIP is just absurd. But even if you were 100 points lighter on that, and I don't think that's an unfair baseline for him at AAA when you think about how he hits the ball and the speed that he has. Okay, so if he's a 275 guy, and we've seen improved walk rates from him in the past, so I, I'm not sure the lower walk rate approaches who he is. I think everyone's going to wonder, can he get to the power with this approach consistently or can he can he improve the approach and still get to the power I think is really what it comes down to uh, stolen base success rate's a great point struggling right now 
has been good in the big leagues though. 18 yeah. for 19 as a base stealer so far in his career. I I have to believe in it. I can't, I just I can't I can't walk away. I, I'm okay. Bold prediction. I think I think Leody Tavares will have more fantasy value this season once he's called up than Victor Robles has from that same time period. You are going bold. Is that really that bold though? <laughs> Only from you, DVR. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just another. I'm, I'm trying to convince everyone. I've really I've really given up on Victor Robles. You can't you can't live with a hard hit rate as low as the one that uh, Victor Robles lives with. But I think I think there's still something here with the Odi Tavares. More for deeper leagues, more for 15 team leagues and deeper. But I I, I don't want to give up on him because I think there's been enough growth. Uh, one more hitter to get to is Shea Langoliers. The problem would really just be: Do you want a young catcher to come up in DH a lot? Like, I, I don't know if you just share catcher and DH between Sean Murphy and Shea Langoliers. Are you really doing anything bad to their development? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I would think maybe less with the catcher because that's you know that's a role that we often do see catchers just settle into. Um, that seems to be the path for Langoliers, and I don't see how you keep him down for much longer. Nine home runs already. The strikeouts are down. He's hitting 316 and it looks like a legit 316 at AAA. So yeah, I, I, I hope that days go that route. I like that description, a legit 316. I I, <laughs> I just hope that like, if I ever have a stat like that about me, I hope people are back and they're like, it's a legit 316. It's a legit twelve podcasts a week, or what? I don't know. I don't have any stats. <laughs> I don't really make things. I don't. I don't. I don't perform. I just. I just go. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you on Langoliers. I. I don't think in this case. I don't think it's that bad to split the playing time evenly. I think as long as they're both getting a lot of reps behind mm-hmm. the plate, I think learning how to hit big league pitching as a catcher is difficult because of your defensive responsibilities. So maybe you can speed that up a little bit by not having those responsibilities on your plate each and every day. Maybe the downside is you're not as crisp of a game caller or you're not as good defensively as the team would like you to be. But so long as they're going to keep Sean Murphy around, I think it makes sense to just let them both play. And, and they, they're no one's blocking the, the DH spot. Like the DH spot should be available in Oakland. Uh, sorry, Christian Bettencourt. A few arms to get to. Another Cardinal, Matthew Libertor, among the most impressive pitchers in the AAA level so far this season, I, I'm a Dakota Hudson skeptic. I always have been. I always will be, but he's pitching so well. He's not losing his spot anytime soon. Um, there's probably a way to fit Matthew Libertor into this Cardinals rotation, though, right? I mean, it, why, how would how could you not? Look what he's doing so far this season. Uh, 318 ERA, 102 whip. That's, again, working in the PCL. 34 Ks in 28 in the third innings and true to form has the walk rate down to a career best 5.6% as well. Yeah. Those are my thoughts on Libertor too, uh, that how do you keep them down? And by the same token, there's not a single person that rotation that seems plausible for either going to the bullpen or I'm not even sure if there's anybody there that, that has uh, options, but I mean, it would, the, the move that I think from a fancy perspective, we all maybe wanted to see was Jordan Hicks going back to the bullpen, but that just doesn't seem to be in the plan there. So I think the next best option then is maybe a six man rotation. As far as I can remember DVR, I can't recall the Cardinals ever even experimenting with a six man rotation. 
So that doesn't mean that they couldn't in the future. It actually does seem like the most likely path, but it's a little frustrating because I don't, I don't see an obvious path for uh, for Libertor. Yeah, I, mean, I think from a like a ratios perspective, the Jordan Hicks experiment so far is fine. I mm-hmm. I don't really know what the ceiling is on that. I've been skeptical of it every time we've talked about it. I like watching Jordan Hicks. I think his stuff is filthy. I just don't think he's ever had the command and the control to be a high-volume pitcher. Uh, so yes, we would love to see him go back uh, to the bullpen. That'd be amazing if it was a closer role. I, I, maybe it's more of a two- to three-inning role in the bullpen that would open up that spot uh, if they decide to do that. Maybe they're just waiting for injuries to create that opportunity. But Libertor... Among the many pitchers that looks ready at this point. But th- that describes the entire group. I mean, the the four pitchers I put on the rundown for today were Matthew Libertor, Grayson Rodriguez, Max Meyer, and Ryan Pepio. And I think with Rodriguez, fewer quality starters blocking him, a greater willingness to move some of those starters into bulk roles based on the Orioles' general behavior pattern. Meyer, we talked about a little earlier, expanding the rotation. And Pepio, more blocked than the others, probably, just because of the quality of the, the pitchers in front of him. But all four of those guys, if they were in different situations, could be in the big leagues right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have to wonder, too, with Pepio, because, yeah, I looked at that Dodger situation. And, I mean, you, you could conceive of Tyler Anderson maybe going to a, a long relief role. Um, but Tony Gonsolin, I... He's not been overwhelming so far. I understand he's not made that many starts, not that many innings. Nobody has at this stage. But given that the Dodgers in the past, that they haven't been afraid to move guys, including Gonsolin, in and out of different roles, I wonder if maybe that's the path for Ryan Pepio. It could be. And I think if you look at Pepio's workload last season, got just over 100 innings split between AA and AAA. So maybe they're probably trying to keep him in the 140, 150 range if you're just ballparking it, even though, isn't it weird the Verducci effect was debunked and yet teams still increase workloads by about that much? Typically, yeah. yeah. They, they tend to do that. I think the the bigger issue is not necessarily the, the overall workload for Pepio. It's more just making sure he's ready to go late in the year. Right? I would imagine they see him internally as someone that has a role of some kind in October, whether it's multi-inning reliever, whether it's back of the rotation, whatever it is, he seems like he's good enough to be in their mix for for playoff usage. So you have to get him there. And how you get him there is, well, it's how you manage him during the season. So maybe that's the, the problem working against him that's more unique to him. I mean, the Cardinals obviously have designs on going to the playoffs. It's not unthinkable that the Marlins could be in the wild card mix. Orioles, well, we can all dream, but you know that's not going to happen. So, if I had to stash one, I could, and generally you can only stash one of these guys unless you're playing in a keeper or dynasty league. I think it's still Grayson Rodriguez, but the gap between Rodriguez and Meyer has definitely shrunk. And if you said they're all coming up at the same time and they're all going to get at least five innings per outing that might make me rethink things. But I think Rodriguez is the best stash of the bunch. Meyer is second. I think it's Libertor over Pepio for me based on expected usage and a slightly greater path into the rotation immediately. But that's just purely a guess because I think Ryan Pepio is going to be a really good starter 
sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, this is a bit of nitpicking, but at this point I really do see Grayson Rodriguez and Max Meyer pretty much on a par, uh, in terms of stash ability and my expectations for the, for the season. Uh, again, yeah, I think both, uh, could and should be stashed right now. And as far as that Dodger situation too, and you talk about saving up Pepio for later in the year, I, that made me think back to the Q and a I did with Keith law just before opening day, where he said he expected Bobby Miller would be up at some point this season. So, I have no idea how that's going to resolve, but uh, if that happens, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, Miller's pitching at double A right now. That's where he finished last season, and it's only been 11 and two-thirds innings so far. I think they're going to bring him along slowly. I think he makes a ton of sense as a short relief boost later in the season. Even if you see him as a starter long-term, if you're trying to picture what the postseason looks like and, and some of the younger pitchers the Dodgers might be using in October— you could imagine Bobby Miller coming in for a sixth or a seventh inning and just wiping an opposing lineup out like that. That seems like a thing you could see, but I think the way that Pepio is deployed could be a lot more interesting for for our purposes. It could be a lot more volume in that usage, just based on what we're seeing early on this season, especially. But never, uh, never a shortage of pitching for the Dodgers. That's the thing I've learned here in the last few years. It just seems like they keep finding and developing guys year after year after year. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd really appreciate that. You can find Al on Twitter at LMilkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you've got questions for the show, feel free to send them our way on Twitter. Just make it known that it's actually a question for the show and not just a general question that you would like answered on Twitter. And we'll be sure to add that to a future rundown. Under the Radar returns on Wednesday. 